0: Considering how big gaming is from an on-chain activity perspective and considering that we all kind of know that this next cycle is going to involve gaming in a meaningful way, it really feels like it's, it's not getting the treatment it deserves.
1: Hello, friends, and welcome to a new interview of a series with guild leaders and key opinion leaders in Web3 Gaming. So I'm Jeremy, uh, the host I'm co-founder of Crypto Guilds. We are the leading platform, uh, B2B marketplace between guilds and games. Essentially, what we do is that we help games acquire players and guilds to find deals. Today, I have the pleasure to interview Chris is from Community Gaming. So Community Gaming, essentially, it is a leading tournament platform for uh, crypto games, Web3 games. They're doing a lot of cool stuff. I saw as well that recently you launched uh, Quest. It's a very interesting topic as well. I'd like to discuss that with you. So many, many things to discuss, um, as well that you are official sponsor at 3XP. It's gonna be uh, like the first uh, Web3 esports uh, event ever. That's pretty cool. Uh, we will also be there. Crypto Guilds is also a media partner of 3XP. So we'll meet there. It's gonna be a lot of fun. But before we discuss about all these different topics, I would like to ask the first question to ask everybody here. It's simply, who are you? Who is Chris?
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. My name is Chris Gonzalez. I'm the CEO of Community Gaming, and I'm also a co-founder at 3XP. And so who am I? Well, I am a guy who loves esports and the intersection of esports and blockchain technology. So for many years, since 2014, I've been in the crypto space. Started out just the Bitcoin space back then. I'm based in New York City. That's where it's sort of the heart of the financial system is. So I used to work at the Bitcoin center back in the day. And I did my thesis in college on Bitcoin. So I was, I was in you know, pretty early um, philosophically and um, you know, as an investor in the space. And I went on to work at Consensus in 2017. And that was when I was more professionally in, uh, in the Web3 space. But been a gamer my entire life as well back from early days playing StarCraft, World of Warcraft, Halo 2. Halo 2 is my first real competitive game that got me into competitive shooters. Um, And I still game today, but really not as much as I'd love to because I am a full-time entrepreneur running community gaming. And so um, community gaming is a Web3-enabled esports tournament platform. We're building efficient payment tools to enable gamers to earn and achieve. And today that's through tournaments for both Web2 games, so traditional esports games and Web3 games, and also through questing. They can earn every day smaller amounts from trying new Web3 games, learning about the news in the space. And so we really all are about enabling people to earn money from their passion from gaming.
1: All right, so a to, lot to unpack there. I, I love to the background Bitcoin OG uh, gamer at heart I mean everybody in the space is as well let me guess so you're playing World of Warcraft I was playing as well your main class was Hunter
0: what how did you know yeah I, t- I have a talent I Dwarf a talent Hunter talent. yeah Dwarf Hunter
1: all right all right there we go I'm happy another win i I play this game because you know everybody played World of Warcraft, and I always try to guess, and I'm pretty good actually i'm pretty good uh okay so uh you do so what is your background exactly you said you wrote your thesis, but you don't really have a tech background do you or
0: um, I, I studied economics in school okay. I was an options trader um before I was a crypto trader, I had experience trading stock options and and stocks. Basically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, investing in tech stocks, Tesla, Apple, Facebook, sort of back when uh, people didn't think Tesla was going anywhere. They didn't think Facebook could get into mobile correctly. This is like 2012, 2013. Uh-huh. This is when I was going into the traditional finance world and then got sucked into what I called the brain virus of crypto. So I sort of said, I'm not going to Wall Street, I'm not doing the traditional finance route. I want to go into this decentralized finance world. And that's how I got into Bitcoin.
1: Okay. Okay. Interesting. So yeah, you, you were doing a contrarian bet uh, at the very beginning. You decided, okay, I'm not going to go to where everybody's going. I'm going where nobody's going. And d- definitely, I think you made quite uh, good bets. I mean, I think it, it brought substantial returns. So congratulations, betting on Bitcoin in, t- in 2014, Tesla and this kind of things. That's it's pretty good. So yeah. okay.
0: Although I'll say you, I get in early, but I also sell too early as well. Uh, so you know, from from the options trading world, it's like you know, if yeah, you have if you have true. a if you have a 10x, you exit right. No one no one could have predicted. You know, you in, you invest in Bitcoin in 2014 and you hold it for 10 years like you that's know impossible. Right? Yeah,
1: nobody does that. And even waiting for a 10x is already really yeah. really good. That works if you have small amounts, but as soon as it, it's big amounts, you you, you turn into paper hands at some point. You cannot do otherwise, I guess. But, um, okay, so uh, before we dive more into what you do right now and how it started, uh, let's talk a bit about uh, 3XP. So tell me more about it. What is, what is it going to be about? A lot, of, a lot of people are talking about it everywhere on Twitter. I see it every day on my, on my, on my Twitter, and I'm very hyped about it. Uh, so, yeah, what is it going to be?
0: Yeah, so it's a Web3 Gaming Expo happening in L.A. County at the Pasadena Convention Center, June 8th and June 9th. We're bringing together, we're basically bringing together the community of everyone in Web3 Gaming. The game developers, the gamers themselves, the VCs, all the thought leaders, we want to bring them in one place. There hasn't been something like this in the U.S. that is chain agnostic and purely focused on Web3 Gaming. And there's been lots of crypto conferences, obviously there's tons on NFTs and DeFi, but gaming has always felt sort of neglected. From the traditional Web three conference circuit, you know you may see one or two booths that are gaming, a few speakers, but you know you're going to walk down the aisle and you're going to see wallets and uh, DeFi and infrastructure, and that's obviously part of the a good part of the ecosystem as well. But considering how big gaming is from an on chain activity perspective, and considering that we all kind of know that this next cycle is going to involve gaming in a meaningful way. It really feels like it's, it's not getting the treatment it deserves um, as far as in-person destinations to get together, in-person marketing destinations. And then we also felt that at Community Gaming, where we work with all of the cutting-edge, PvP-focused Web3 games. And a lot of them are saying, hey, you know, we're not quite ready for tournaments yet. This is going back, you know, six months ago, but we are going to launch next summer, right? We're, we're ready to launch finally. We're going into alpha. We're going into beta and so it became clear that all of these games were kind of starting to launch this year into the end of the year, but they were just announcing things on Twitter. You know, they're running their, their whitelists in Discord, but that's sort of inside of this Web3 bubble, right? Like it, I, I like to say we're building in public, but in a, in a bubble of just Web3 people. Um,
1: that is so true. This <laughs> is a big bubble. And, and it seems like it's getting smaller and smaller at some point, this bubble.
0: Sometimes. I mean, when FTX happens, right, things kind of get smaller, mm-hmm. right? And now we're kind of getting bigger again. I think people are starting to finally kind of get over the headaches of the NFT boom and bust, mm-hmm. the the obviously, you know, horrible 2022 we had with just company after company going bust or turning out to be a fraud, right? That's really damaging to the average, um, you know, psychological interpretation of what's going on on this Industry that the regulators are all saying is for fraud and illegal stuff. And then you see illegal stuff and you're like, oh, I guess that, you know, I guess mm-hmm. there's nothing uh, truly innovative here. And we know that's not the case, right? And specifically with gaming, we know that there are incredible games, very promising games built by talented uh, industry veterans. They're well funded, like the VCs have put a lot of funding into this, but it takes a long time to build a game, right? The games that yeah. launched first. Were, were rushing to market, right? They had flawed tokenomics, they, they were just making promises they couldn't keep. And then you had things like Axie Infinity, which was very exciting, right? But it obviously wasn't you know, a triple-A game with you know, the, the types of budgets Blizzard and, and Riot have. So um, you know, it was a craze, right? And so um, 3XP is really just to kind of show not just the Web3 world what's going on, but to show the entire, call it the Twitch and the Steam average gamers that there's a lot of great games coming that they should be um, aware of. And then they should also get their hands on it for the first time mm-hmm. in person in L.A. So we wanted to put this on to have a marketing destination for all of Web3 Gaming.
1: OK, fantastic. So this conference will happen June 8, uh, 9 in Los Angeles. Uh, you'll have more details uh, in, the, in the description of this video and also a discount. So if you want to get there, meet us there. That will be really amazing. Okay, so you said something that I thought was interesting when you talked about uh, community gaming. You said uh, we want to help uh, players really earn uh, from, from playing. And also, you after mentioned the, the fact that we are too far away from the mainstream gamers, uh, Steam gamer, or whatever. And this is kind of the huge divide we have in the industry for a year. Some people shout, oh, we need better games. And some people shout, no, we need to have play to earn, etc., etc." Even though nobody says we just need play to earn anymore. Now the consensus has shifted towards, we just need better games. We need web 2.5, better onboarding process and so on and so forth. I am actually more on the side of the earning part. I think the blockchain is not something that is going to be a revolution in, in the way people play games. Because it's not in, there is new, no new device. It's not a new console. It's not mobile. It's not uh, VR. It, there is no revolution in terms of hardware. So what's going to onboard them to me? It's similar to what onboarded ninety nine point nine percent of people into crypto, which is financialization, speculation. At some point, at least at the beginning, and this for me. It's kind of the driving force, you know, have this mechanics, have this kind of meta game, game in the game. You know, I like to say crypto is a meta game. We play the game by worthless tokens. We have uh, villains, we have characters that lead the space. So, uh, so yeah, this, there is this big divide and you actually mentioned these two parts. So what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, so I think earning is an, is an incredibly important component but it only works in sustainable and fun games, basically, mm-hmm. right? Like if, if the game, and I'm going to borrow something from Jiho, which you know obviously they saw the, the rise of Axie and, and everything that kind of happened afterwards. If you don't have players spending for emotional reasons and you only have players spending for financial reasons, then it's unsustainable, right? Um, and you're only going to get people spending for emotional reasons if the game is, is truly fun. Right, if you if you have a cosmetic based economy, right? Think of the traditional gaming industry. It's pretty much dominated mostly by mobile now, over fifty percent by mobile. But even the PC games like League and Dota, Valorant, take Valorant as, as an example. You're spending eighty dollars on a gun skin, right? Like with no expectation of return there. You're doing it purely for status, right? You want to look cool. You want to show you have the rare skin, or maybe you've earned a rare skin, um, and so you're you're spending for emotional reasons. And so you if you are going to have a large supply side with rewarding players, right? If you're going to take allow players to take value out of the system, that that value has to come from somewhere, right? It can't mm-hmm. just come from you know, players continuing to do their first purchase in a game because that that steam runs out after a while, right? You can't just bet on more and more players coming. You need to just have a sustainable economy from whatever player base you have at any given time. So, we know that uh, the more affluent players in a game's player base, right, referred to as whales, they have, they have more money and they will spend money to progress faster. Right? They'll buy boosts, they'll spend money to get every last variant of every last skin. And so if you have a game that's really fun and you have a game uh, that has, that's attracting the players that want to spend for emotional reasons, then you could theoretically uh, have a sustainable earnings economy right where you have an in-game economy it's a real flourishing in-game economy there's there's marketplaces there's all different types of transactions going on the developer's still earning fees right they still have to make money they can, they have to be somewhat profitable but mm-hmm. i think it's a paradigm shift from if you look at the top mobile games now they're they're raking in tens of millions of dollars right there's room there's wiggle room there right they could they could give back money to the players and so i think the key part i'm getting to the, my main point here is that it needs to be optional Meaning, if you just want to play a game for free, you want to play the free-to-play route, you don't care about money, you don't care about earnings, you play a game because you're escaping you know, from the real world, you don't want to think about money, that's totally fine. And mm-hmm. the way I think about that is sort of like, for me, I'm a multiplayer guy, right? I don't ever play single player. I just jump right into multiplayer. I don't play Call of Duty single player. So there's people who love single player. There's people who love multiplayer, and I think you're going to have this new kind of essentially game mode called open economy player, right? And mm, it, 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 may, it may be for you <clears throat> or it may not be for you. And that's, that's totally fine, right? But the optionality to say, you know what? I want to top the leaderboards and I want to earn, this, you know, I want to earn a fungible currency or I want, to, I want to unlock a really rare skin that I can hold and flaunt or I can two months from now sell it so I can buy something else or I can go to another game. That optionality is super key.
1: And do you think so? For instance, uh, I understand totally what you mean. But when you look at mobile gaming, for instance, I personally wouldn't call most of the games fun. I think they make a lot of money by abusing people's reward system, and mm-hmm. they they abuse them in a way that you have whales, you know, they're gonna spend, and you just uh, you just try to get them basically. So that's that's how you make all your money in 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 mobile. There's... By, it's very, uh, it's
0: very predatory. It's extremely it predatory. Is, yeah. It it preys on certain psychological, like oh, you can't beat that boss. You know, why don't you why don't you buy the fifty dollar package that will get you just enough to beat the boss, and then like you know, a week later you're at the next boss and you have to buy again, right? So it's 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 gotten to a point that it's extremely predatory. Yeah. And, um, and so at some point, I think players are going to really demand a, ch- a change, right? Right now, they're sort of confused. They don't understand that Web3 is actually mm-hmm. pro-player, right? It's, it's, a, it's a power dynamics shift from the developers having all the control, the control mm-hmm. of the supply of the items, the price of the items, like the floor price, everything. They control everything, and they lock your ability to trade. Mm-hmm. And it's a shift away from that to sort of, hey, you can trade things, um, and you know, other people can come in and create marketplaces and set the prices for stuff. And so once mm-hmm. the players find fun games they like, and they sort of fully like, wow, I just earned something that's worth a hundred dollars. That's crazy. I've never earned a hundred dollars in Valorant unless I'm a pro player or a pro content creator, right? Like if you're not part of that one percent, you're not earning money from the vast majority of these games. And so uh, allowing people to monetize their time mm-hmm. in, an, in an optional manner. Um, is that big shift away from, I think, the very predatory model we see now, especially with mobile games.
1: I see. I mean, we're getting a bit further away from what we do exactly, but I'd like to take on that because you, you jumped into it. So uh, I agree with everything you say mostly. And uh, this led me to also thinking of how will game uh, monetize in the future, right? So do you think that uh, business model of games will change and they will make money through liquidity. So the, it's not going to be primary sales. It's going to be maybe a minimum amount of what they earn, but it's going to be through transaction fees, royalties, et, et, et cetera. And based on that, the new game loops will be focused on incentivizing liquidity of assets among players. Do you think that will be like a major trend or there's going to be every type of game and there's, it's not going to be the playbook essentially.
0: So, <clears throat> so I think first, what we need is we need a demonstration of a Web3 game that has millions of players that embraces the secondary trading market. So Mm -hmm. what I'm really saying is if Riot and Blizzard and stuff, they're gonna do this, they need to see a reference implementation that answers this very important business question of, today, we just do primary sales. We decide how many of these skins we're gonna sell in Mm -hmm. Fortnite or whatever game, and then that's it. No one trades them ever. When the you know when it when it comes when it leaves the shop that's it it's just one-time sales and then maybe we bring it back every once in a while but like they you know sometimes they don't it's just kind of one and done. Um, the big question is if you do a limited run of primary sales right if you say we're only selling ten thousand of these after that you can only get it on the secondary market and we as the game developer are going to take a let's say they take a seven percent fee right I think seven percent is a healthy number that can allow them to still make money mm-hmm. um, but, but not be too much. It's not too small. Let's just say 7% is like a good psychological number. Um, now the question becomes, if you look down the, the pipe two years, that same skin that sold 10,000 once, how many times mm-hmm. did it get traded over the next two years? They could yep. taking 7%, 7% in perpetuity, right? And if you look back on an example like that and you say, wow, we actually made more money than if we would have just sold – 50,000 once, right? That That's just an unknown. It's unknown, right? Am I cannibalizing my primary sales, right? Um, what's the balance there? Can we do this every week? Do we have to space out our skin sales now? So there, there is a lot of unknown questions, right? Like I I haven't done this at scale from the, uh, the point of view of a game developer. But to answer your question, I do think, yes, mm-hmm. it's going gonna, it's gonna to move away from primary sales, and it's going to sort of embrace commerce in an in-game economy and incentivize people to use a marketplace, use auction house, use loans, uh, lending markets, that kind of stuff.
1: Okay, fantastic. I agree. I also think secondary sales are going to take over and going to be extremely powerful. I'm just thinking how it will affect gaming loops. At what point, do you, if this, mo- this model become a reality, how much will it impact the way we play and the way you attract other kind of personas around you? And that's, you know, like the collectors, speculators, etc. cetera. It's just the meta game, that's what I call it, like gaming mm-hmm. the game, you know? All right, uh, about, so concerning community gaming, what is the main added value of blockchain into doing, so tournaments,
0: quests? Tournaments, <clears throat> instant and secure payments, right? In the mm-hmm. traditional esports world, whether you're a player, even if you're like a contractor doing shoutcasting, um usually takes you weeks, if not months, to get paid out, right? In a traditional, like, I'm going to do a 30- a or 60-day invoice cycle. I'm going to you know, pay your organization first. Your organization's then going to pay you later. There's going to be cross-border fees. There's just a lot of extra hurdles and fees when you're just going through traditional payment systems. Even if it's PayPal, you're going to have minimum fees. And, and so <clears throat> with community gaming, excuse me, <coughs> We're embracing smart contracts to enable instant payouts for players right after the tournament finishes. So -hmm. it goes right from a smart contract that's holding the prize money in escrow while the tournament plays out. They can join the tournament seeing that the money's sitting there waiting for them. Right? It's not in community gaming's control. It's not even in the tournament organizer's control. It's sitting there in escrow, and the tournament organizer has already pre-configured First place is going to get this percentage, second place is going to get this, all the way down to whatever they want. Mm -hmm. Meaning you can pay out 100 players in a tournament of 128, let's say. And so what that also enables is a wider payment distribution. So imagine coming in 64th place in a tournament Mm -hmm. and the prize would be $2. Do you think someone's going to PayPal you $2 and pay a $0.40 fee? And they're going to do that for everyone who came in 33rd through 64th. Like it just wouldn't make sense because there's too many fees. There's too many individual transactions an accountant has to do. And so with smart contracts, it's kind of one atomic transaction, right? You press one button, boom, everything goes out to all of the wallet addresses that, that the player has chosen to be their default wallet. And we as community community gaming can create a default wallet for you. And, and then it's just there for you to claim no gas fees. Um, no prior wallet knowledge needed, and from there the real hurdle is okay. I've earned, let's say, USDC in my wallet. Mm-hmm. Coming in sixty-fourth place in a tournament, what do I do with it now? Right. So that that is still a, an educational challenge, right? People having to figure out what they do, but we make it. I think we're the best in the industry at getting that first crypto in your wallet, having you earn mm-hmm. that first amount of crypto. Do
1: you have a, a number of how many of people using your platform? Uh, never touched crypto before and so they you you were the way to onboard them into crypto
0: <clears throat> so roughly 50 percent of new users have never had a self-managed wallet before meaning maybe they have a coinbase account maybe they okay. have a robin hood account but we're talking about like a self-managed wallet a non-custodial wallet mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. roughly 50 percent don't have one they're, you know, they're not connecting one of their own. They're choosing to get a new one generated for them. That's how we come to that statistic. And so um, that's quite significant, right? We've had hundreds of thousands stuff. of people sign up on our site. And um, we're their for- first source of... Usually USDC is usually the first... You know, We support all tokens. We're also chain agnostic. But mm-hmm. USDC is going to be the, the price pool currency that most tournament organizers choose because it's you know it doesn't leave any sort of confusion, right? It's not volatile and people can understand it, right? I'm from, you know, let's say you're from Latin America, you, you want to earn USD, right? You probably wanna earn USD over your own currency, which probably has higher inflation, is more difficult to transact. And mm-hmm. so if you understand that USDC is effectively USD, that's gonna be the one that you sort of gravitate to uh, first.
1: Okay, and what you do, the way I like to think about it is that, you know, in in Europe, we have uh, soccer, football, and we have these different leagues, you know. So, obviously, if you're a player in the top league, you're going to earn a lot of money. But if you're a pro player or semi-pro player in like six leagues or something like that, you're going to still earn a bit of money. And with your systems and what also blockchain and gaming enables is that we're creating these different leagues in which you can earn from being a gamer, even if it's just a little bit. Yeah. You can, you're creating all these different leagues uh, that you know pile up and essentially uh, grow the pool. So that's, uh, that's also one of the side effects of what you do, I think.
0: Yeah, we, you know, we like to say it's supplemental income, right? It, you're not going to quit your job um, if you're you know, a mid-tier kind of amateur player, right? Uh, but if you're a mid-tier amateur player in Hearthstone, like trying to compete in the Hearthstone Pro Circuit, you're going to earn zero, right? You're not, yeah. not going to get flown out you're yeah, not gonna I am. I s- earn zero. <laughs> right? Like you're not but gonna I'm go. Good. I'm
1: I'm a legend uh, level there, but not, I earn zero. See, that's the problem.
0: You're rank legend and you're yeah. earning nothing. Right? Nothing. Blizzard doesn't. And, and I think you have to come. Uh, usually, it's like whatever. It's top 100. Then you can maybe get flown out, or you hmm. sometimes you even have to pay for your own flight to yeah. go. And then if you come out of the top 16, you earn nothing. So it's like I'm in seventh. I'm the 17th best person this season. And mm. I, I've lost $300 on a plane ticket. That's amazing. Like, that's... <laughs> um, <laughs> that's so. like it. So, yeah, yeah um, being able to have more equitable distribution, whether it's a prize money, whether it's the games themselves that have sort of taken on this philosophy as well, that they're just going to reward out like a leaderboard of players every season, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's just a much more equitable approach that, yeah, you're not going to go you know, laughing to the bank if you're a, a mid-tier player but you're going to have mm-hmm. this supplemental kind of passive income that you can maybe use to uh, reinvest back into the game, right? And buy some more skins or something in the game.
1: Okay. I, I would like also to ask you about quests. So we are also playing around quests, but mm-hmm. we're doing through a B2B approach. So our approach is simple. We think that essentially uh, games needs to acquire players and guilds have players and needs to monetize them, right? And so... We are developing a system where they could design quests together. And uh, the game is going to put money in the pool of rewards from the guilds. And the guild will send their players. They will uh, like play the game, complete the quest, and then they will earn the rewards. So we are doing a B2B approach. So we connect the different communities together. And, and you are actually implementing it uh, already. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what is your approach towards Quest, because tournaments, okay, we, we get it, it's competitive. Quest, there is an idea of engagement. There is an idea of helping to grow the community. So completing a task that's not going to be necessarily fun all the time. Sometimes it's a bit of effort, but you have a reward. So yeah, what is your understanding of Quest?
0: Yeah, so <clears throat> we have a B2B side of the Quest, and then we kind of have our own um, sort of loyalty side of it where it, it doesn't include another business it's just driving people to do more things on our platform that we want mm-hmm. um so starting with the b2b it's somewhat similar to kind of what you're saying uh, a game developer let's say planet uh planet mojo mojo melee and this is a, a, a actual case study i can share we did a quest campaign with them uh, a little over a month ago and you know their game is uh kind of like an auto chess um you know auto battler game think of it like tft riots game And we have a lot of TFT players, right? And so in this case, we know that a lot of TFT players may want to play uh, Mojo Melee, right? It's a similar game. It's a high-quality Web3 game. It's exciting. Mm. And so we worked with them to set up a campaign of quests that act as sort of like a discovery mechanism. Hey, we're targeting you because you've shown to like TFT. You've played on TFT tournaments on our platform. And so they, on their questing page, will get these sponsored quests sponsored by Planet Mojo that says, Mm -hmm. you know, learn about the game. Maybe that is um, their uh, game trailer. Um, Learn about the game with the game trailer. Engage with them on social media. Maybe it's liking a tweet, um, following them, jumping in their Discord. And then from there, the next level is to compete, right? A a competition-based quest where it says, join this upcoming tournament that we're running with Mojo or tune into the Twitch stream, for the tournament. Maybe you're just a spectator, right? You're not ready to jump in and play yet. You just discovered the game, but you'll go check out the stream to get an idea of what it's like in a competitive sense. Right. And then maybe you'll go back and download the game for the first time. Right. So in that sense, it's like a user acquisition tool, right? Where they're, they're paying essentially advertising revenue in community gaming Mm -hmm. takes a, a cut on that. And then the rest of the money goes right to the player for completing those quests. Right. So if we're talking about predatory models in, in the world of Facebook, all of the money goes to Facebook, right? Facebook, I, no. you don't, I don't get money when I click an ad on Instagram, right? Like no. the, uh, the advertiser just gives all the revenue to Facebook. In our case, you know, we, we're taking a fee on it. It's a, it's a smaller fee, it's around 20%. And then 80% goes directly to the players for completing those tasks. And hopefully um, they actually love the game because we're, we're using the data that they've chosen to share with us to say, hey, you, know, you actually may like this game based on your preferences and your interest on community gaming. So it's it's rewarding the player, they're monetizing mm-hmm. their own data, and they're hopefully getting very relevant recommendations for them.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And I like it as well, because your approach is softly introducing players identity, like you're not pushing it down their throat, you're like, okay, you come on a platform, you do all these things, and you know, bit by bit. You build their their players identity their mm-hmm. decentralized players identity which is something that's going to be also highly valuable as we move on forward and i think your strategy to get into that is, is pretty smart instead of just hey come to our platform uh tell us who you are and uh, we'll offer you some games but you know people are not going to do that because yeah. they're not incentivized to do
0: we we call it gamer id like your profile mm-hmm. page um, at least internally, we call it Gamer ID. I don't know if we've fully uh, made that public yet. And you can remain synonymous on our platform, right? You don't have to say your real name. You can be, you know, Shooter Boy One Two Three. You don't have to put, you know, exactly where you live. Um, but you are able to show on your profile which tournaments you're playing in, uh, what your favorite games are. You can choose to put that in or not. What your favorite tokens are. You can choose to link your social profiles if you want, or you can not do that, right? You don't have to like sort of uh, dox yourself. You can just be mm-hmm. this person earning money um, in, in a more anonymous way, or you can choose to share more, get more relevant quests, and sort of monetize that data, right? And that this idea, like you're saying, of a, an identity where you're building up reputation, right? Um, eventually, we're going to start giving out achievements as sort of badges, whether they're soulbound or not, we haven't decided yet, but basically saying, hey, you, you've just uh, won your 10th tournament here is a badge that represents that right and now that person can signal to everyone that he's a really strong player right maybe a guild will want to recruit him based on that um, yeah. maybe the opposite is i've hosted my 10th tournament and so someone who's looking to join tournaments who want to choose like kind of the most trustworthy or like the most you know uh stable um, tournament community. And they'll be like, wow, mm-hmm. they posted 10 tournaments, they have a good reputation, right? So it's it's this idea of building up um, kind of a good reputation on the platform based on the activities that we're tracking and sort of rewarding you with those incentives.
1: And you mentioned uh, guilds. So uh, I mean, I'm biased on that, obviously. I I mean, guilds is what we do a lot. We think a lot how it can evolve. So it's no surprise to anyone that they have been in a very very bad situation for a year the whole business model collapsed uh they are they have communities and sometimes they don't have communities anymore they are just uh, trying to find a ways to exist in this space but i remain extremely bullish on what guilds will become or as, at least i think it will be a thing which form it will take remains to be determined but it will be something your company is called community gaming which essentially is a defini- could be a definition of what a guild is. Uh, what is your take on, on, on guilds, maybe what they wear, what they are, and what they want to be or will be?
0: So I would like to answer this by sort of bringing in the esports world as well. Like esports teams are also struggling, right? You have guilds mm-hmm. that are struggling for a completely different reason than esports which are struggling. And I think they actually need to basically move closer to the middle of each other. I think they mm-hmm. I think esports teams can borrow a lot from guilds and guilds can borrow a lot from esports teams. So let me let me explain what I mean by that. So, um yeah, of course as you pointed out, like a lot of the communities around the earlier guilds have just deteriorated, right? A lot of those players were only there because this was sort of like a paycheck for them. They didn't really necessarily care about games, right? You, which is on one hand cool. You had like older adults like playing axie and and it was incredible right for a while it was it was an incredible like story um but but they weren't playing it because they were super hardcore gamers right they were playing it because it had that earnings potential and then when that went away um you know they didn't love axie enough or whatever game it doesn't have to just be axie but they didn't love the game enough to keep playing um and so you know now you're in a position where you know there's not enough And let's look back like in 2022, that was really kind of the weakest point, right? There's not enough games, right? Axie was like one of like three games that everyone was just kind of piling and bidding up assets, right? You can't just have 50 guilds all buying assets in one game, right? You needed to have a diverse... Uh, You can. That's uh, what
1: like put them to the roof, you know, the assets all uh, escalated because all the guilds were all buying. That's the whole Axie worked because of that.
0: But that's not healthy, right? You'd rather have... Yeah. You rather have 50 guilds buying assets in 50 games right so you can sort of diversify right hey this game's not doing well let me move to this game it but it was it was it was sort of mostly correlated around this one game and so you were just everyone was bidding up right a new guild would come in they have to go buy axes at whatever the market rate is the next time they have to go and it was just bidding it up so it was just unsustainable um but anyway getting back to the esports point esports teams are struggling tremendously right now especially in the us i'll say us esports market is what i have a better understanding of because they're overly reliant on sponsorship money from like these corporate you know they're going to go to honda for the automobile category they're going to go to an energy drink they're going to go to a like a um you know like a a cash app for their finance like there's these different categories of sponsorship and you only have so many right you have like seven categories that you're going to go to and then uh, at the same time, the prices of player salaries have been going up every year as all of this VC money has been coming into the space. So you have player salaries going up, but sponsorship revenue was not going up at the same rate. And so Face Clan, unfortunately, yeah. sort of uh, ruined it for everyone when they went public. And the you know once you're public, like the they the, showed
1: the world <laughs> they, something you know, you they wanted to be they, hidden. <laughs> they
0: they opened up the the kimono, so to speak, yeah. and. Uh, <laughs> You know, once you're in the the public realm, like the public's going to decide if they like your your revenue numbers or, you know, they're going to demand more profitability or whatever. And so at that point, it's not just the VC private market. um, And and clearly their stock has gone down like over 90 percent. Right. It's 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 in really bad shape. So now you have a lot of pressure on the rest of the esports world. Many of them are, you know, in actually probably uh, just as good or better position than FaZe, like 100 Thieves or something, a, a Team Liquid, a Cloud9. Uh, but they're going to have trouble raising when the, when you have to look at that comparable to phase right now. So the question becomes, how are you going to diversify your revenue streams as an esports team? And so my take on this, and I think there's there's similar people saying similar things, like from one of the co-founders of Method Guild had a really good take on this. But essentially, you I I expect for esports teams to become more like tech companies and to start mm-hmm. to look at what some of the guilds have done. So for instance, imagine, you know, take a take a team Liquid or 100 Thieves, if they had maybe a few less videographers and a few more software engineers, let's mm-hmm. say they created the Open Sea for first person shooters, like right? web3 first person shooters, right? Like they spent time to build an incredible uh digital asset marketplace. And all these first-person shooters are coming out. They can field players in them, right? The dead drops, the shrapnels, like the last expeditions. There's like a lot of FPS games that may actually, you know, do really well in the next year or two. Mm -hmm. So one, they can field content creators in them, but they can also build the tech, the tool side of it. And so now let's say it takes off. It's, you know, it's like the next blur or something like that. They're earning a fee on all of these transactions, right? Now, all of a sudden, it's not like, hey, let me go to Honda and like try to get, you know, a a monthly sponsorship. It's we now have this blossoming sort of tech part of the company, right? And so I I think you're going to see them borrow some of what the guilds have done, right? Guilds building data and analytics platforms, rental platforms, you know, marketplaces, like, you know, the the list goes on. And I think esports teams can use Web3 and sort of go to the forefront of Web3 and say, hey, the games at this exact moment are not you know, going to be better than Valorant or or whatever. But if we kind of like go to the forefront and start working with these game developers early, we can find revenue streams because they're much more open with their IP. They allow you to build tools on top of the base layer of the game, right? And so when you're much more open with your IP, if you have these open game economies, there's revenue opportunities there.
1: Yeah, and I'll add to that. I fully agree with everything you said. And I'll add to that that they will monetize their player base. Like this, in a world where... Probably you're gonna have many more games coming, you know, with uh, AI helping and everything, and maybe more uh, game as content uh, versus game as an app.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You will have all the, you, I mean, the number of game as possibilities gonna be so big. So you will need big communities to co-build your games. You mm-hmm. will, that's how you will discover games through your communities. And so uh, guilds or esport companies, they have huge player base. And when they will understand, okay, so the same you described. Uh, Uh, like um, companies will not pay uh, meta to get advertisement but all this money will go to players directly and a cut for the organization that uh, have all of them the moment they will understand that they will monetize their player base and and make also a lot of money uh, through that there will be different layers in the guild you know maybe the the forefront esport team and then different layers different leagues and the player base and kind of organization like that
0: yeah Uh, you know Dan Din at TSM uh, I'll borrow mm-hmm. a, a quote from him. You know, esports teams are basically just big marking engines, right? Like that's that's what they have. They have all these eyeballs and, you know, they have all these fans. And um, if games are good, right, if these are actually good games that are coming out, they can drive mm-hmm. their fan bases there, right? They can increase the LTV um, and and work synergistically with the game developer. Right now you have, you know, let's say Riot is, is you know, they're a great org. I don't have really an issue with Riot, um, but as an esports team, you know, you can get some revenue from their pro circuit, right? They sell skins and and for the the VCT, they'll they'll get a cut, but the vast majority of skin revenue is not coming from that. It's coming from the everyday purchases that are happening in that game, right? So it's like you're they're kind of locking you out of the main piggy bank mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, giving you something on the, on the on the top end. Um but I think what you really need is we need to understand that whether it's not just pro players on the on these organizations, right? Let's let's say the content creators as well, right? Like the uh the, Pokemans, the Shrouds, right? They're, they're not necessarily pro players, but they're driving a huge audience. We need to realize the attribution angle here. We're like, if you're really enjoying Shroud playing, whether it's, you know, back in the day, PUBG or Valorant, you're going to go buy a Valorant skin after you've watched a stream. Like psychologically, there's some connection there, right? You're really enjoying watching him every, day, every night at dinner and then you go decide to buy the skin that you just saw him, you know, he was like, wow, this skin is so cool. And you're like, yeah, it is cool. Let me go buy it. There's no cut for Shroud in that, right? Like there, there's no actual connection there that's being acknowledged. But I think we do need to acknowledge that a lot of these influencers and pro teams are driving a lot of revenues to these games. And they needs to be a more sort of they need to figure out what a better equitable share of that is. Okay. That's my hot take. Maybe some people it's, would
1: no it's a good one it's a good one uh so you're a founder uh and a lot of people in our audience i mean all of the people in our audience are professionals so founders have, uh, game developers vcs or uh, guild leaders and uh we know the the, the space right now is it's kind of in trouble the the funding environment is really bad and you know uh, even though we have a lot of exciting things coming up it's it's pretty tough for many. So how are you navigating that right now? How do you manage to to you know I don't know if it's you you're cutting your expenses, you're trying to raise more funds, you have enough you how do you approach that?
0: Yeah, um so in this environment, you want to be extremely cost disciplined. That's what investors are going to demand. you know they really are going to sort of request that. Hey, you need to bring down your expenses right whether it's your marketing expense or it's your salaries right for us we unfortunately had to do a round of layoffs last, last quarter right we we were going too fast last year i think a lot of people you know overhired and so um we had to reduce our workforce and um you have to be you know you have to be more um cost conscious with everything you do right whether it's travel expenses whether it's doing a huge marketing campaign or a smaller one where you're trying to find better ROI. So maybe you're not gonna go spend you know, $100,000 on Facebook. You'll look for something else like, like a guild or an esports team or an influencer or a community gaming. Um, and um, you know, you're, you're have to have a low burn rate and you have to have the ability to survive this bear market, right? If, mm-hmm. if you don't survive to the next bull market, it, it doesn't matter, right? Like we, we all know things are gonna get better, probably mid 2024 when the Bitcoin happening happens, that usually kicks off the next bull run. Like, so we know this is not going to last forever, right? The Fed just did what is probably their last interest rate hike this week. And so, you know, this is sort of the, this is peak interest rate environment right now. And it's probably either just going to stay flat for a while or potentially Mm -hmm. even do a rate cut later this year. That's sort of what they're hinting at. And so, you know, we're sort of at the peak pain right now, I would say, right? This is Q2 2023. I think this is, peak tightness for financial conditions. Um, and so you just got to survive, survive and thrive, right? Still try to grow your user base, make sure, you know, you're, you're still making progress on your, your product roadmap. Um, but yeah, now's not the time to, to blitz scale and go crazy.
1: Okay, fantastic. Cut costs, survive. That's good. Pretty clear. Also agree. All right, so we're getting to the end of this interview. I'm going to ask you a question that I ask every single person I interview here. I call it the meta question, and it is the following. If life is a game and you can go up to level 100, what is your current level?
0: What is my current level? Um, I would say I'm probably at level 60 or so. Like I think I have a lot farther to go, but maybe I'm past the the midway point. and then I also will say, maybe I can get past level 100, right? Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I will, uh, uh, biotech will kick in by the time I'm my, my older age and I, I, can extend, uh, I can extend my levels, get into the extra innings, who knows. Um, but yeah, I'd say I'm probably level 60. And if I can get through this bear market, I'll, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll upgrade to like level 70 or something. But yeah.
1: Nice. And how do you win the game?
0: you win the game. You, you have fun. Uh, you give back, you give back to the world, people less fortunate. You build incredible companies that people find valuable. You have a great family, great relationship. Yeah. And you just have to enjoy life.
1: All right. Thank you very much, Chris. It was really a pleasure to have you today. And for everybody, we'll, have, we'll meet each other for new interviews or Tavern episodes. See you, everybody. Bye-bye.